You may remember me promoting and all of us talking about the Global Leadership Summit, and we'd love going to that. They have around 14 to 16 speakers each year. And these speakers bring different experience and personality and perspective. And so no doubt you make a judgment. Well, I like this guy or I like this girl, but I didn't like her speech as much or his speech as much. And in fact, the Global Leadership Summit actually asks for our opinion afterwards. They want us to rate the speakers, not really rate, but just rate our experience so they can better form future conferences. Well, our group went to this conference and we went to lunch together and no doubt at lunch you just couldn't help but to evaluate you know, who, how the speakers were doing. The table I was sitting at, um, one of the speakers came up and his, let's just say his name was John Smith so we won't pick on anyone or make anyone feel bad as my podcast is listened to worldwide by Christian leaders everywhere. <laughs> and you're laughing about that, huh? Right? And so we're kind of going around the circle, and one of, one of the guys at my table said, well, John Smith, man, I just thought he was incredible. I, I connected with his story. Um, I can really identify. I was right there with him. It just impacted my life. And the next guy talking later, later on around the table, as we we're talking about other, other people, one of them said, you know, the person that I couldn't stand was John Smith. I couldn't follow him. I didn't know what he was saying. I didn't understand what, we, what, what concept he was trying to get across. It reminds us of this, is that we can hear the same words but receive a different message. And that's the title of my talk today, my sermon, is same words, different message. Same words, different way of looking at things. Same words, different results. Thank you, media person, for helping me get the right, <laughs> the right phrase. Same words, different results. And that happens a lot. You know, we, we, we have a similar experience, but we process it differently. And today I want to help you. The, the passage we're going to look at is a passage that I find myself referring back to frequently. But I can't remember a time in recent years where I've talked about this whole passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's the reason this message is important. Is when you go into relationship with Jesus and you're engaged in relationship with Jesus, not everyone is going to celebrate your new love for Jesus. Or I'm not just talking to new Christians. I'm talking for those of you who know the Lord. You go deeper with the Holy Spirit and you're more into the word. Not everyone in your life is going to be happy about that. Not everyone in your life is going to understand if you begin to put Jesus as the center of your life. Not everyone in your life will cheer you on. And in fact, the Bible predicts this, and walking with the Lord will prove this true. At some point in your life, someone you care for or even respect or whose opinion matters to you will actually be hostile and oppose your walk with God. Now, I say this as a warning because a lot of times when we're not aware of this reality or we don't understand the biblical impl- implications of this, we're, we're just caught off guard. I think about our college freshmen. A lot of them are at universities where some of the staff and faculty, certainly not all of it, but some of them are actually trying to actively deconstruct Christianity and actively try to disprove the faith. And when that happens, if we're not aware that the same sermons, the same scripture, 
the same songs, the same prayers that we say together that bring life to some are ridiculed by others. It's received differently. So I want to talk to you today about four different ways we can receive spiritual truth. And to reinforce my point, I want us to look at additional scriptures from 2 Corinthians, the second letter to Corinth, which was a Greek city. And so this is what Paul wrote. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So we have an smell, an odor, to use this metaphor. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death. But to others, an aroma of life leading to life. So the Christian message, essentially what this is saying, it stinks to some people. It doesn't appeal to some people. And to some people, the message of the gospel of Christianity is pleasing and good, and it brings life. To reinforce this point again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, notice it's the little God there, not our triune God, Yahweh, but the God, the spirits of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So some people just don't get it. Some people just don't see it. According to the scripture, some people just don't smell it right. And let me tell you who those people are. They're me and they're you. Without God and without his Holy Spirit coming and touching our hearts and preparing us to receive the message of Christ, we can't get it. So there's no pride here. There's no elitism. We're not saying, hey, we're so much better than the rest of the world because they just can't see it. They just can't get it. They just can't understand it. No, we're humble to say, but for God, God has prepared us. God has opened our eyes. God has caused us to understand how great this Jesus is. And so today I want you to see through the scripture that you and I are both affected and impacted by, by certain factors that may keep us from receiving spiritual truth like we should. Now, I'm really weird about a lot of things, uh, but making lists is one of those things I'm kind of obsessed with. It can be a good thing. And remember my prayer series, I talked about all these different prayer lists that we make and so forth and, and how that's been effective in my life. But I also make really strange lists of all types of things. I won't bore you with all of these types of lists uh, because you would just think I was strange anyway and it would waste your time. But I will tell you about one list that I make. There's one list that I have. It's a list of stuff I'm never going to do again. And I want to tell you, it's pretty powerful to make one of those lists, okay? Now, I, I, I say this is because this is, it's a really scary thing to do because never say never, right? Never. I figure, figured out when you're living for God, uh, the, word, the word never can be dangerous. But these are more maybe my reaction to things. And so, in a church that I will not name, in a city that I will not name, in a year I will not identify, I had a meeting with somebody who I know love God and love people, and this person will be in heaven with me. But they made absolutely no sense in this encounter we had. Like, they were completely irrational. They were upset about something, and it was not a give and take of information. It wasn't an accumulation of the facts. It wasn't 
trying to reason together. It was me getting chewed out and spit out. And, and anything I tried to do to, to bring understanding, to bring perspective, to bring information, it wasn't going to happen. I was just going to get chewed out. Actually, this story has happened several times. But I'm thinking about one particular story. So after that dear saint left my office in this unidentified place, in this church I will not name because I don't want anyone to, to feel identified, I got out my, my journal, my black book, not, not a little black book, but a, a mold skin that I bought across the street at Barnes & Noble, and I wrote in my list this statement. I'm just telling you to try to help you. I will not be emotionally affected by irrational people. Man, that was a great statement. I will not emotionally be affected by irrational people. And every once in a while, I earmark that, and I go back to that list. And it's not the only thing on the list, just so you know. But it's just as part of the illustration. And I just remind myself that if someone is irrational, and they're not able to have a give and take in conversation and actually find out information, they're not going to ruin my night. They're not going to ruin my dinner with my family. They're not going to make me feel bad about myself. I'm just not going to go there. And it's been helpful to write that down. So I have a bias now against irrational people. Now, here's the only problem about that bias. You have to actually be rational yourself. So am I always rational? Well, you know, of course not. We're not all perfect, are we? So that is a bias. Now, we all have certain biases, don't we? We all have certain things that we just say, uh, that, that one I would say is a positive bias in my opinion. But we, we just have certain things like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to go there again. That's not for me. And when it comes to receiving spiritual truth, here's the first thing I want you to identify for taking notes. We have a fill in the blank thing. Is personal bias. Personal bias keeps us, keeps us from receiving God's will. Because we say, hey, I'm not going to participate in that. Acts chapter 10, we read last week about Cornelius. We kind of ended the sermon on this. Cornelius, God honored him for his giving and, and for his prayers. And then now Peter gets into the story. And now I want you to see, see with me, and, and we have a lot of scripture to cover in a lot of time. We, maybe we won't cover everything today. That's okay. God's going to speak what he wants to. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop about noon, and he became angry, and he wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. He saw heaven open, an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals, the reptiles of the sea, and the birds of the sky. And verse 13, then a voice said to him, get up, kill, and eat. Now, verse 14 is a key verse for this illustration or point. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. Again, a second time a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven. Now, there's a whole lot going on in that scripture. And, and on another day, we would talk about it, analyze it, so forth. But what we're seeing here is the Christianity is transitioning from kind of a sectarian, one-family faith, Abraham's descendants only, and now it's being expanded to the whole world. Jesus is for the whole world. He still is. He's for every single person. And God had to use Peter's experience right after Cornelius was spoken to through, through an angel of the Lord. But what did Peter say? He said in verse 14, not me, basically is what he said. He said, I have never been, I've never eaten anything unclean. 
I've never eaten anything unceremonially, uh, ritually unclean. And, and the idea here is, is that is not, he's not saying, God, the Torah said this, and this is our custom. It's a personal bias. He's like, I'm not going to be the one for change because I'm not going to participate. How many of us have come into places like this and we've had personal biases that have kept us from receiving God's will? Like perhaps like you could come in here and say, this church doesn't have an orchestra. I'm out. I'm out. I don't see trumpets. I don't see French horns. I don't see lots of brass. I don't see men and women in, well, men in tuxedos. And I don't know what women wear in the orchestra, but uh, I'm sure it's professional and great dresses. Thank you. And, and, and that bias say, I'm out because I've got to have an orchestra. See, this is a bias. You might say, hey, the preacher's not wearing a sports coat. Listen, guys, I wear a sports coat when it's really cold or when there's a baby dedication. The reason I wear it when it's a baby dedication is because I'm usually feeling really good about our church in the afternoon. Then whoever has dedicated their baby posts pictures of me on Facebook. And it just doesn't look great from behind praying for someone like that. You know, so I need the jacket to hold me in, tighten things up. Is this too much information here? Yeah, maybe so. But the point is, if you have a bias and your preacher has to wear a sports coat, you may miss out on God's will for your life. All right. So there's all kinds of biases that we carry in. So let me ask you this question this morning. What personal biases do you have that is keeping you from God's will unfolding in your life? Because we have to be open-minded. Open-minded. God may ask you to go somewhere, do something, say something, be something that you've never anticipated. And we have to be open to that. Something we all deal with. And it's, it's closely associated with personal biases. It's cultural filters cultural filters. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. This is a really important part of this passage. The Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. Right there we see there that different ethnic groups, different cultural people, uh, different cultures there think differently. This is, this is a fact of life. We, we know this even here in middle Tennessee. People who live in East Nashville and people who live in Hendersonville People who live in Westmoreland, you have three different, distinct, wonderful communities that, by and large, the people have a different mindset. They have a different reason for living in those areas, those who have chosen to live in those areas. And so, so people think differently. This is, this is what he's saying here. Here's the cultural filters. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Why is that? Because the Jews, they, they were looking for a political leader, and the idea that their leader could be executed by the humiliation of the cross by the Romans was completely unacceptable. There is absolutely no way a God can be crucified by the Romans. That's a stumbling block for that particular culture. For the Greeks, the Greeks, which, which is the seat of wisdom and, excuse me, of reason and of Western culture, uh, they did not believe a God could ever humble himself. A God could never become man, much less have death on the cross. And these cultural filters kept them from receiving the message of Jesus. Let me ask you this. What is it about your culture that you're in right now or that you grew up in that is keeping you from seeing the work of God? I believe that God right now is, is causing us to look beyond. One of the great things that's happening in, in this era of globalization, there, there's negatives and there's positives, but one of the positive things that is happening is causing us to reach beyond our own culture to see the 
the transcendent qualities of God in all people, all places, and our God who is so big that he's working in and through us all. What cultural filters are keeping God from working in your life? 17 years ago, I helped start a church, and me and the senior pastor there, uh, we were the only two employees of the church, but we had to drive buses to help supplement our income. And so I got my bus driver's license and got hired by the company. Guys, I wasn't a very good bus driver at all. I had a little wreck and a second and a third in my first three weeks of employment. A couple of the wrecks were just me in the bus barn, you know, so it was just me, the bus, and the fence, and so we, we could handle that. But one of the wrecks happened when I was going through a, a cons, kind of a construction zone, and there were, there were two flatbed trailers, and I thought, man, I can get that bus through there. And I had kids on the bus, and I'm getting that bus through there, and I hear this loud scrape. So protocol happens. I have to call the bus barn. They have to call the police, and they have to call the principal, and then I have to say, all the kids have to stay on the bus. Like, you cannot get off the bus. So these poor teenagers are like, that's my house right over there. I'm like, you can't get off the bus. It's August. It's Texas. It's hot. It's a bad scene, right? So I felt bad for the kids. So the next morning, I get up real early, and I went and bought donuts. Now, for you youngsters there, 17 years ago, uh, donuts were not politically incorrect yet. I mean, you, you, you could eat a donut. Now, if I eat a donut, it's like the look of shame comes from people. They're like... How could you eat a donut? Oh, my goodness. That's the worst thing ever. So, but back then, donuts were still cool. I mean, it's still cool to eat donuts. So, so I, I, I get the donuts, and I stop in the neighborhood, and I'm feeling like a great educator here, um, I'm one who is able to transport these children. I'm going to make them feel good. So I, like, kind of open the box of donuts as they come. And, and the, the first the neighborhood, we have the, the cool kid. The, the ringleader, he's the first one on the bus, and he's followed by the deputies of cool at the bus stop. All right? So he comes up, and I open up that box of donuts, and he just looks at me and just shakes his head no. <laughs> then the deputies of cool kids, they shook their heads no. And about two dozen kids walked past those donuts, and no one took a donut. Now, what would you think would have happened if the first cool kid would have grabbed a donut. Those boxes of donuts would not have lasted 60 seconds. I mean, there's no way. What happened is most people only do what their peers do or think the way their peers think or form opinions the way their peers do. Guys, Christian thought is calling us to think deeper, reflect more, to form opinions based off scripture, based off facts, and not based off public opinion. That's why the third thing is this. The third factor that prevents us from processing things properly is social conditioning. Social, condition, uh, social conditioning is when the individual is trained in a society to respond in a manner that's approved by all of society or approved by their peer groups. Peter, remember him, he was the leader who helped lead the cause to bring the Gentiles in. But he quickly fell back. This is amazing to me. The same Peter who God used to include the Gentiles in the faith turned against the Gentiles. You'll see this in Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. 
When he first arrived, he, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, this is first century peer pressure here, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism. Uh-oh, does that not hit home? It does to me. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It's amazing how a bad idea spread so quickly. We're so vulnerable without the Holy Spirit. Man, we, we need to be people who don't just follow follow groupthink, right? I mean, if, you, if you've got a group of friends that all of you have agreed together 100%, somebody's faking it. Somebody's not thinking. Somebody's not being courageous. And it, it's dangerous when we don't think independently. And as Christians, independently means in partnership with the Holy Spirit. It's dangerous when we don't think that. And so, so we, have to, we have to graciously think through the issues of our day and discuss them and learn from each other and to be open-minded and I, I want to say one thing. I didn't know if I was going to say it to this service, but, but here we go. I, I love our 20s and 30-year-olds. Probably because, I believe, because I was a youth pastor. So that was my generation that I led. I'm just a little bit older than them. I love the 20s and 30-year-olds. And I want to say, for those in your 20s and 30s, married and single, you are so smart. You have so many more advantages than we had, that Gen Xers had and, and baby boomers. And you have so much more access to... to to uh, information, and I'll say this, is you have such a heart of love. You really do love people. So can I just tell you this? Can I challenge you because I love you? Be humble about it. Be humble about it. And part of being humble is respecting those who don't share your same perspective. And the disrespect we have for our elders is a sign of pride. And it's I say continue to be smart and continue to love deeply and continue to solve problems and continue to think on the front end, but at the same time, respect those, those older than you who may not see things the way you do. And if we do that, we'll be leaders in this culture because that's what God has called Christians to do, to lead in love. We don't have to agree on every issue, but we have to agree that we love one another and we're going to be there for one another. And there's always more we have in common than we don't have in common. Amen. I want to close with this. Aubrey and Jen can make their way up here. Those of you who have gardens and plant you know this, that the success of a seed is dependent on the condition of the soil. We know that, don't we? I want to close talking about the God-prepared heart. Because when God has prepared our heart, then that's when we're able to receive the information and receive the spiritual truth that we need. Continuing a theme that we've seen already in the scripture today, as we as we identify how we were without Christ. This is not meant to point our fingers at others. It's meant to identify where we were. Ephesians 4.18 says, they are darkened in their understanding. That was us without God. Excluded from the life of Christ because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. Now right away, we're like, oh, that word ignorance, that seems like such a mean and malicious word, but it's really not. 
because I'm going to tell you this, I'm ignorant about a lot of things. There's a lot of life I haven't experienced, and there's a lot of stuff I just don't know. I don't know much about nuclear engineering. I, I don't. I can't tell you the first thing about it. I'm ignorant of that. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm subhuman because I don't understand engineering. It just means I don't have that knowledge base. And that's how it is when it comes to spiritual truth. Those who have not heard, those that have not heard the message or had opportunities we have, there's an ignorance there that's not a mean, malicious ignorance, but it causes a hardening of heart, a hardening of heart. And so it's not good for us, man, when when we get upset with people because um, unbelievers are giving a perspective that an unbeliever would give. It's not helpful to call them stupid. It's not helpful to call them names or be malicious. It's just a hard heart, right? The same hard heart you and I have had. Well, Jesus and the gospel message is in the business of changing hearts, and he's changed my heart. That's why the, the prophet spoke of the gospel message of Jesus in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Boy, we need that, don't we? How many know that? Sometimes it's not... It's not the information that we share. It's the spirit behind the information we share that's wrong. And God says, I will give you a new spirit. Man, there's been times in my life, and I've been full of truth, but I've had the wrong spirit. I've had the wrong attitude. I've had a, a, a maliciousness about me that doesn't represent Jesus. But this is what God's saying. When God comes on the scene, he comes and he says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I love how this, the rest of the scripture says, I will place my spirit, the Holy Spirit, within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinance. This is the call to spiritual transformation. We serve a God who can do the impossible. We serve a God who can do what we cannot do. Listen, if I could change you guys, I would change you. I would wave my hand from the, from the right to the left and you would all be changed today. I know some of you, if you could change me, you would change me. I, I would preach differently or act differently or say something differently. If you can change me, you can't change me. I can't change you. No, we serve a God who can change us perfectly. He can change our hard hearts that can't receive the seed of the word and he can make them soft again and hearts of flesh to receive everything that he has. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 reminds us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Listen, new things are coming to you. Only God can do it. I'm, I'm praying for you right now. I want to pray for you. We've only got a couple of minutes left together. We've got to enter in. We've got to enter in right now. Listen, what can God do for you that you can't do for yourself? He can change you from within. He can change you from within. Behavioral modification can only take you so far. You can create new habits. You can create new systems in your life. Those things have value, but they can't change the heart. The only thing that changes the heart is a relationship with God. He's changing us from within and the Lord is causing you to receive everything he has for you again. Some of you may be hard hearted to the message of God right in the house of God. The Lord wants to soften your heart today. He wants to transform you. He, he doesn't want you just to put in your time. He wants to put he wants you to put your heart before the Lord and present yourself to the Lord so that he can change and transform you. We're going to have some time to respond to this message today. If you're visiting with us on this particular Sunday, we're going to make available to you communion. You don't have to take communion. 
Sometimes Christians have good reasons not to take communion. But if you want to take communion, uh, I won't give further instruction. When I begin to pray, you can come to the front or to the back. You can take the bread, the cup. You can take them as an individual or you can take them with someone you care for or love and you can do that together when your heart is ready. To be most uh, helpful, if we could either come down or go the back through this aisle, aisle that I'm pointing to and return through the outside aisle or return to the middle aisle and again, come either through this aisle to the front or the back and return to the outside or to the middle. That's the chance. We're also going to have prayer partners available. I'll be down here too. And I know Pastor Deborah's here and we have some other prayer partners. We want to pray with you. So if you have something specific, Pastor Chip and Gayla are going to be there. If there's something specific you want prayer for, we want to pray for you. And just in a few minutes, just probably four minutes or so, I'm going to come and give our benediction and, and allow us to go. Those of you who can stay these last few minutes, let's spend these last few minutes responding to the word, responding to the scripture. Father, we dedicate this time to you. Let us apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The table.